You are listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, a podcast released on the first three Wednesdays of the month. Family crisis, relationship crisis, addiction crisis, no two crisis situations are the same. They vary by family, individual, and relationship. They can encompass complex family dynamics, emotional distress, anger issues, and entitlements, and often involve substance abuse. This podcast addresses these issues and others surrounding the addiction epidemic currently plaguing this country and the world. There is hope and help. Are you stuck, scared, or unsure of what to do next? If a situation with a loved one, spouse, or even a child has started to spiral, possibly becoming dangerous or threatening, it's time to seek help. My name is Scott H. Silverman. I help families navigate crisis situations. I'm the person you turn to in order to get you and your loved ones unstuck. Okay, welcome back to the Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour. This is Michael Glenn Moore. I'm Scott's co-host. Scott, today we have another fantastic guest. Why don't you introduce yourself and then let us know a little bit about uh, the guest and introduce her. Okay, I'll do it. And we, we hope she's going to be fantastic. Everything I know about her certainly is. Anyway, well, uh, I'm Scott H. Silverman, and welcome to Happy Hour. And Michael, it's always good to hear your voice. We are doing our weekly podcast to try to get information out that we think is not only relevant to individuals who suffer from all forms of addiction and behavioral health issues, family crisis, trauma, untreated trauma, and anything that we can talk about around how to get into recovery, excess recovery, and find ways to help your loved ones, you know, navigate the best and highest level of cares that are out there in the planet, on the planet, and for everyone that's available. So with that, we're going to go right into our guest today. Uh, Lori Golden is a very special person. She's an author. She is an individual who has practiced a very unique focus, I'm going to call it, and she'll explain it to you in the, in the treatment behavioral health world, and she has a nuance to how she goes about it, but she also has a heart that when it's beating, it ticks loudly enough that you can hear it, and when you're in trouble and you're suffering from trauma, knowing that you're dealing with somebody or someone's dealing with you that has a heart is real important because when it comes to treating behavioral health and trauma and negative experiences that people have in life, catastrophic events, sometimes the clinical side of it just by itself isn't enough. So without further ado, our guest today, Lori Golden. Lori, how are you? I'm okay. Thank you for that intro. Um, yeah, I wanted to just say to people to begin with that I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I've been in practice many years. At, but more importantly, I'm a drug abuse survivor, and so I'm in recovery for Narcotics Anonymous for 33 years. And I'm also a food addict in recovery for many years, and as well as an incest survivor. And really, in my practice, what I do is really focus on trauma and abuse and people who are in recovery sometimes have many years before they come in to get work, to do the work on trauma and abuse. So I'm, I'm really glad to be here to talk about this aspect of recovery. You know, Lori, thank you for that and your, and your honesty, because I think it's important that when you talk about your own personal experience, not only do you bring, you do bring the clinical side plus experience uh, and the anecdotal piece of it, plus your own 
you know, um, years of working with others. So you, you not only have learned clinically, but it sounds like you've also, from an experience perspective, personally been able to bring things to your, your therapeutic clinical business, if you will, that not only helps people, but you learn, it sounds like you work it both ways. Cause I, you know, and I know in my recovery program, I like the idea of, you know, you can't keep it if you don't give it away. So you get to do it professionally, which is kind of awesome. And so, that's how I feel, Scott. I feel like I've brought all the horrible things that I can imagine in my history to a wonderful place of being able to help people. I think I love it. That's a, you know, if that was on the six o'clock news, the way they would frame it is that she has brought the most wonderful pain and displeasure and awful experience <laughs> to that's, that's, that's wonderful, Lori. That's great to hear. And, you know, and when you put it like that, it, it almost sounds positive. And I think the fact that you weave your experiences into your practice is, um, you know, it's, it's a very, very, I call it, you know, it, it's a secret sauce. It's different. It's a real differentiator. And yeah. I'm sure, you know, and I've talked to a couple of your clients uh, and because of cross referrals that we've worked together on and, you know, you're very well respected and more importantly, you're very well loved. So tell us, tell us about in, in your experience with the recent times that are going on right now, what are you seeing as a clinician uh, in the world with all the stuff that's going on? You know, I don't even like to use the word virus, but, you know, so people know point of time. So where, where are you at? What are you seeing? What's taking place? What are you experiencing? What are your clients experiencing? And what are you telling them that might be different than what you would normally tell them? I don't know that I'm telling them anything different than I would normally be telling them. Because it's just more of the same. It's just heightened. Everything is heightened right now. And it, people who, that I work with that have trauma or abuse in their history, and I, I say trauma or abuse because I work a lot with burn survivors. I work a lot with people who have had major losses in their lives, as well as children, adults who have been abused as children. So one of the hardest aspects of what's happening today is isolation. And isolation for people, and I'm, I'm only going to talk about isolation in reaction to people who have trauma in their, or let, let's just define it as abuse in their history. Lori, let me interrupt for a second, because I, I think those two words that you just used a couple of different times are real important, trauma and abuse. Which, can you share from your experience, what is the difference between trauma and abuse? Because they're often used together, but I think there are different aspects of each one of those words and that experience that I think would be helpful for our listener to better understand. So could you give us a quick better understanding of the difference between trauma and abuse, please? Yeah, trauma is an experience and that happens in life. For instance, somebody's uh, suddenly in a fire, Some, somebody's suddenly in a car accident, S um, a child is growing up and suddenly loses a parent, um, a divorce that occurs. Those are traumatic experiences where we feel incredible helplessness, fear, we can feel trapped, we can feel unable to it, it, it creates this kind of inside feeling of we're not safe. Now, abuse is, and when I talk about abuse, I'm talking about adults who have been abused as children. 
the difference is, is that's an ongoing generally, general experience. And it's about mental, physical, um, it's emotional abuse, it's neglect, it's sexual abuse. So that is very different than being caught in a fire. It, it's it's you're not necessarily being abused by people around you because you were in a fire. So abuse is different than a traumatic experience. Does that make sense? Yep, I got you. Okay, that sounds good. So um, let me let you get back to where you were before. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just think that, you know, it's so important for people to uh, better understand. It's kind of like saying, I, you know, I eat too much, but I overeat. I mean, there's yeah, just a, I know. a framing of words. I think it's important because I, th- I think as people better understand what's happened to them or what their experience about what's happened to them, when they go to ask for help, when they're able to articulate uh, what's happened to them, if you will, it, it, I think it becomes helpful and, and there's a healing process. You know, when you're able yes. to talk about your pain and clearly that's what you do is you listen to people and their pain and is, you know, and you've shared that you, you lived it yourself. So your level of empathy is going to be, I think a little bit different than someone who's just studied it clinically, but that's just my, you know, humble non-clinical opinion. It's okay. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So tell me, uh, you know, uh, do you want to go okay. back to where you were? Or do you want me to yeah. continue on with so my question? So what people, what people are calling, when people call me right now, mm-hmm. people who have, you know, been in, in and out, like have been in treatment, let's say, for abuse or trauma in their lives, are calling because it's getting re-triggered. It's suddenly we're in a situation where certain things, we, we have to abide by these outside restrictions. And it really can mirror feeling trapped for people. It can, it, it's kind of this experience of their, isolation means you're alone. Social distancing means you're more alone. And when people are alone, it can bring up all sorts of trauma just old feelings that they may have even worked through, but it's getting re-triggered again because this is a traumatic experience for people. This is what trauma is. You know, it's happening worldwide, but, you know, it doesn't matter that it's happening worldwide. It's interesting because each of us lives in it within ourselves. So, you know, other people can be experiencing it, And that's why I love meetings and social, you know, abilities to be able to talk on Zoom and reach out to people. And I'm always telling people to reach out in whatever ways they can for help, not just therapy, but programs and whatever's available in the community. And it could be, um, uh, you know, a national organization for physical or sexual abuse. Um, But reaching out is so critical right now because it really does bring up feeling alone. And that's, that's a powerful experience for people, particularly for people in recovery. Being alone is so uncomfortable. Being cut off from natural things that people do, it's... I was talking to a woman today who is like literally um, a doer, like a workaholic and 
there's she's suddenly cut off from all of these normal things that she does in life. And now she's overwhelmed with literally withdrawal feelings, like feeling overwhelmed, feeling emotional in ways that she can't identify. And this is happening to a lot of people that I talk to. So tell me, you know, statistically in the world of substance abuse and mood altering substances, about 15% of the country has an active addiction that will erupt over the next year. Do you have any data at least anecdotally, if not, you know, raw data about out of, out of 10 people, uh, how many potentially suffer from uh, experiences with abuse or untreated trauma? Well, statistics really, I don't fully trust statistics in this area because a lot of people don't report okay. and a lot of people don't talk about it. So what the average is one out of 10 males let's say, is affected by sexual abuse in, as children. One out of they, anywhere from five to seven females are affected in their childhood as young children. So okay. it is really just in the category, and, and because I'm an incest survivor, I, I really would like to focus on abuse in families because it's um it really is prevalent and i mean it really is existing it happens in business it happens in all areas of our lives so so that being said is it safe to say that the odds are whatever the data is that we read it's significantly higher because it goes you know tr- you know strategically it goes unreported the stigma the embarrassment um just the you know the shame the, the, the cone of silence. Yeah. You just don't talk about it because the, the judging that goes along with it. Is that yes. safe to say it's higher? Yes. Okay. You know, Absolutely I so. safe to say. So tell me as, as people move forward in their recovery, it often becomes apparent that steps cannot treat all aspects of, of their growth, particularly from childhood abuse. How do you recognize the need to reach out for, you know, how does someone recognize the need when they need to reach out for therapeutic services? For example, you know, if I have a flat tire in my car, I know it's time to get to the tire place. You know, it's pretty clear, but how does someone actually recognize, you know, and I use that, you know, Michael and I talk about it all the time, but you know, I need help. Those three hardest words to say, but they're magical words. And in your field and your experience with, you know, abuse and family abuse, how, how would a family member know when it's time to make that phone call to you, for example? How do they know? Well, let's just start with what you said initially, which is this people in recovery. I I really want to focus on this because I, I know that people in recovery really need to identify when they need this kind of help. And it's interesting because, you know, when we get off of drugs and alcohol, we really, the steps are wonderful. And the tools that we get in the programs are really, as well, can be really wonderful for people. But people look, but what happens is it's not enough. We continue to feel different when we're, when we have these abuse issues from childhood. We continue to feel, we, we have patterns of behaviors that don't make sense, that 
we want to change but don't even know how to go about doing it. We can feel very isolated or we, we're trying to still protect ourselves. And it's, it's, a, it, it's the degree of what someone feels in this because often what happens, people come in to see me and one of the things that they feel is shame that they have to reach out for outside help, that the program isn't enough. And it's, I say to them, no, it's not the program is, it's not that the program isn't enough. You have to be clean and sober in order to understand and step into the deeper work. So the program is, I, I'm always saying to people, therapy is not enough and the program sometimes isn't enough. And we have to recognize when we feel stuck, when we're trying everything we can, we're trying this. I mean, I can say this in my first five years of recovery, I was doing everything and anything to work on myself. I was doing the steps repeatedly. I was reaching out. I was doing service. I was doing all the things that I needed to be doing. And honestly, I kept feeling like I couldn't get out from under a black cloud. Now, at that time, I resisted medication because in 1987, I began my recovery. And so it was five years later. It was still a no-no in recovery to, to do medication. But I did. I had to get on an antidepressant. And doing that helped me to kind of lift my, my mood, elevate, elevate it enough so that I could begin to really do the work that I needed to do on myself. And we need to recognize when what we're doing isn't bringing the kind of relief we would like. And Pain is the only barometer for people in recovery that motivates them to take action. And it's pain that people experience over and over again. That, listen, I'm doing the steps, I'm admitting when I'm wrong, I'm I'm trying to do all these things, and yet I'm in so much pain. And that's when people need to reach out for outside help. But it also can bring up like I'm doing something wrong. Why isn't the program enough? Why do I have to reach out for help? And a lot of times people don't know that they were even abused as children. They have no memory of it. So tell me, tell me why is it, why is it difficult, you know, for abuse survivors in recovery? Because as you said, you're on this trajectory, you're doing all these things for your own self-help, your own self-care, you're going to the, you know, the program, you're doing different things, you, 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 you turn to, you know, professionals for medication-assisted treatment components. But so why is it, is, is it more difficult, do you think, um, for abuse survivors that are in recovery or just someone who suffered from abuse that maybe doesn't have a substance abuse issue but still needs to get some form of help to you know deal with the you know i call the untreated trauma so why is it so answer that question because i think that ties into the prior question but it's interesting phenomena that you know here you are you're in this you know 12-step recovery you know 
portal and everyone's talking about you do this, you do that and everything will be wonderful. And you look for the, you know, the burning bush and sometimes it doesn't come or it does come. But, you know, I look, I needed additional care and so right. I got into recovery because I think once you remove the mood altering substances and the anesthesia, the hard work starts. Yes. Yes. And again, it, when I say people in recovery, yes, there are a lot of people that I work with that, are not, that aren't only in recovery, okay, that co- come in for, you know, certain reasons and they could be, excuse me, let's say they could be um, very codependent. And, you know, so when you have people coming in, I'm, I'm not just saying that only people in recovery are affected this way, but in recovery and out of recovery, when people come in, a lot of times they don't have an understanding that they've been abused. So for instance, someone will come in and they'll be unhappy in their marriage. And they don't really know exactly how what that even means. They, they can describe behaviors that make them uncomfortable. They can describe certain things that they don't like. But what's important is people have to learn how they're reacting to what it is that they don't like. And my job is to help people understand. So if I'm, I'm, I'm let's say somebody's in a room with me and they're talking about my husband gets angry with me. And I'll say, well, what do you do in response? And they'll say, well, I, I shut down. Okay, so what makes someone shut down? When we dig deeper, what, what becomes apparent is when their husband is angry with them, they suddenly shut down, but it, they also feel younger. And when I'm working with someone, I often say, how old do you feel when you shut down? And it takes people time to grasp, to come up with some idea of this. But soon people will say, you know, I feel about 10 or I feel about 8. Now it's no longer their husband. Now it's the origin of shutting down. So the shutting down has a history. It doesn't just happen now. You've learned to shut down. How far back do you remember be shutting down? And often people can remember things from their childhood then that have caused them to want to shut down. So when people come in, they don't understand that in their adult life, they're being triggered in their family issues. It, and when people start to talk about this, they'll say, why do I have to look at my past? It's like I've lived it already. I don't, I don't want to have to look at it anymore. The truth is you don't have to look at it. You're living in it. When your husband gets angry and you shut down and you feel like you're eight, you're living in your origin of home right now. You're, not, you, you're in the moment. We're not, we're not going back in history. History is happening now. History is in the present. So I often help people to understand that the behaviors that we've established 
to cope with emotions and people's reactions start early in life. They just do. And for people who have been abused, it starts early in life to learn how to survive, to learn how to manage overwhelming fear and helplessness. And we develop survival skills, and those survival skills are a part of who we are. We don't know that they're PTSD. We don't know that they're symptoms of abuse. They are, I thought my survival skills, my PTSD symptoms were my DNA. So when someone would say, well, you had, you're hypervigilant. Well, yeah, because I ha I've always been. It's just always been a part of me. I don't see that as a symptom of abuse. I just know that I have to be hypervigilant because something's gonna something's unsafe and I have to be on the lookout. And I can't ever let down that protective armor. I have to be looking. I have to make sure. I don't know where the next thing's gonna come from. And when you grow up in abuse, for instance, I mean, I remember being... 12 years old trying to do homework and I wasn't doing homework I was listening for the sounds of my father where was he in the house my focus and my attention was on him when nighttime came and the sun went down I didn't know this at the time but I started to feel frightened and anxious and then I'd be on the lookout. And then suddenly I'd be watchful. I had to watch, where is he coming from? Now, I didn't know I was doing this until I got into abuse recovery. But when I grew up and got into recovery at 37 and started within six months having memories, suddenly the terror of nighttime coming was in my face. I lived always, when the sun was going down, my terror escalated. I was hypervigilant and I was on guard. And it's like living in a war zone. That's how I define my home life, living in a war zone, where I'm on guard, I've developed weapons to try to keep myself sane. I've done, I've, I've, really done so many things just to manage the uncertainty and the terror. And that, yeah, so then we grow up and now we'll look, look what we have. Wait, you're going to summarize all of that with 10 seconds? That's great. Now no. we grow up. So on that, because we only have a couple minutes left, let me ask you um, one of my more important questions, actually my last one, but it's an important one. What happens if we don't get help? for childhood abuse? What happens if it goes untreated, this abuse, and you don't seek help? Then you continue to live suffering, and you continue to live in secrecy, and you continue to live with guards up, and there's no freedom in that. There's absolutely no freedom. It's just you contained behind a wall. Oh. Michael, did we miss anything? 
No, I think I pretty much covered it. Uh, I just wanted to mention real quick uh, something about my, my other podcast, Dennis, like yours. I interviewed Laurie back in, um, I think I interviewed her in September and released her episode in December. So if you want to hear more about uh, the abuse she went through, the trauma, and how she dealt with that and, and about her book, uh, go back and listen to that on any city like yours. Uh, Scott, if, uh, if you don't have any further questions, we can go ahead and ask Lori uh, to give us a positive quote or affirmation for the day and then close out. Um, and, and Scott, you haven't given out your phone number yet. I'm, I'm surprised. I, I know. I, well, that's because I was so excited about having Lori here talking about a topic that, you know, is so not talked about. And I think, you know, in my years of being in the rooms of recovery, when you see people who get, you know, months, years of sobriety and, and they, they, there's a relapse factor that keeps going on, yeah. you start to wonder, you know, what is it that's not getting addressed you know, in the rooms, because sometimes it's just not enough for everybody. But before I let you uh, give us an inspirational word, Lori, I'll just pump out my name. Again, it's Scott H. Silverman. You're listening to our happy hour. And my phone number is 619-993-2738, 619-993-2738. You can always reach me at yourcrisiscoach.com. And we look forward to hearing your thoughts and ideas on future podcasts. And with that, I'll, I'll give it to you, Lori, and let you take us away with some Words of wisdom. You know, I try to tell people, think of your, your story in life. Just think of your whole story in life as a book and how incomplete it would feel to open up a book and have chapters missing. And those chapters often are missing because you've lived in abuse. You've lived in something that you're not, you haven't dealt with. And so I often say to people, you know, if you don't embrace your story, you're, gonna, you're, you're losing so important parts of yourself. You're losing chapters in your life. And they, this is all about who you are. And I'm just, I always say to people, you know, you've lived through the worst. Healing is about freedom. And I just want people to be able to embrace their story and understand that they're not their abuse. They're, they are who they are, and abuse has only been a factor in their lives. It's not who we are. So I just think people need to embrace their story. That's awesome. Laurie, thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And thanks for sharing parts about you that I'm sure, you know, the average person out there just wouldn't be willing to do or doesn't know how to do. So I'm hopeful it will inspire others to know that there is help, there is hope, and there's ways to get access to treatment. And I I absolutely want to say that whoever would love to call me, if to reach out, I am more than open and willing to receive calls so we'll give them your number Lori. make it easy okay 858-344-6045 and that wasn't that wasn't that hard was it Lori? i know but when you start to think about it but you'll be amazed you know the calls you'll get you'll get some goofy ones but you know what some one person calls you 
and you're able to steer them in the right direction, you're going to change your life. And, you know, and I've shared, Michael, and I've talked about it. This is my year for funeral avoidance with all the things going on today. I really appreciate I know. You giving out your phone number because it's not easy to do. And if you get overwhelmed, you find yourself drinking from a fire hose, you can always hire an assistant to take those calls for you. Right? Yes. Yes. Lori, before we close out, would you please let us know in the name of your book and where it can be found? Yeah, it's My House of Lies, um, and it's on my website at Lori Golden um, Author. Wait, Lori Golden Author dot com at okay. my website. Perfect. Okay. It's on. It's um, on Amazon as well. And if, you, and if you can't remember any of that, just contact me and I'll put you in touch with Lori. We talk all the time. So I'm happy to swing you her way. And she and I work very closely because I think everything that we both do with families who have issues, um, there's a whole lot wrapped into that. And both of us believe that, you know, recovery isn't a weekend event. It's a long-term life commitment. Yep. It is. Okay. Thank okay. you so much, guys. All right, Lori. Thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time. Okay, thanks.